Just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to see how you want us to live and, and the example that we're going to see from this book in Ezra. And we just thank you and ask you to lead and guide in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you remember last week's class, we talked about the Transjordan authorities getting upset with the Jews because they were building the temple and the wall and and they wouldn't stop. They wouldn't listen to them. They wrote Darius and Darius told them to stop building because he looked up what they said and yeah, they are troublesome people. <laughs> so we're going to look at today the response of the Jews back, back to this. So chapter 5 in Ezra. Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel even unto them. Then arose Zerubbabel the son of Sheatiel and Yeshua the son of Zoadak and began to build the house of God which is in Jerusalem and which they which them were the prophets of God helping them. Now remember they've been told not to by King Darius. They've got a letter saying not to build, and here they are building. At the same time came to them Tachnai, governor of this side of the river, and Shethar, Boznai, and their companions, and said unto them, Who has commanded you to build this house and to make up the wall? Then we said unto them after this manner, What are the names, and then we said unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this building? But the eye of our God was upon the elders of, of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. The copy of the letter that Tatnai, governor of this side of the river, and Shithorbozai and his companions, the, the, the Apharsachites, which were on this side of the river Jordan, sent unto Darius the king. They sent a letter unto him therein, was written thus, Unto Darius the king all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went into this providence of Judea, to the house of the great God, which is built on with great stones. The timber is laid in the walls, and this work goes fast on and prospers in their hands. Then asked we these elders, and said unto them thus, Who commanded you to build this house and make up the walls? We asked them their names also to certify thee, that we might write the names of the men but they, that were the chief of them. And thus they returned us, answering, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and build the house of the, that was built these many years ago with the great king of Israel built and set up. After, but after that our fathers that had provoked God of heaven under wrath, he gave them unto the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build this house of God. The vessels also of gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was, was in Jerusalem, and built the, brought them into the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered unto one whose name was Shishbazar, whom he made governor, and said unto them, Take these vessels, go carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be built in his place. Then came the same Sheshbazar, and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and since that time, until even until now, has been it been building, and yet it is not finished. Now therefore, if it seem good to the king, let there be a search made in the king's treasure house of the in the king's treasure house, which was there in Babylon, 
Whether it be so that the decree was made of Cyrus, the king, to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let not the king, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this matter. Matter. Okay. So now we're seeing the response of the Jews back. First, they were being attacked, and and if you remember, they sent a letter to. Uh, to Darius saying, hey, these are troublesome people. If they build this, they're going to cause nothing but trouble for you. Search the records and you'll find out that there are troublesome per people. And he searched the record, found out, yes, there are troublesome people, just as we talked about. You know, all those last kings were always rebelling. And so he sent a letter saying, stop them. <laughs> okay. Uh, and they did stop. If you remember at the end of, end of chapter 4, they had stopped. Okay, so now that takes us, catches us up where we're on chapter 5. So the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and they're the minor prophets. They're in, they, they both wrote books they are in the Bible. They came and they prophesied to the people of Israel, and they said, basically, get started. <laughs> get back to building. You were supposed to be building. Get back to building. Now, remember, they had been told not to build. And yet the prophets come in and say, build. Build. What do you think you're doing? You're being disobedient. Uh, and they're in a kind of a catch, they're in a catch-22 because Cyrus told them to build. <laughs> Darius has told them not to build. And so now the leaders, are, the religious leaders are saying, get building. We're supposed to be building this temple. And so this is actually one of the very first examples of we are to do what is right in spite of what man tells us. If God says to do something, we're to do what God says to do. And that's the place where we're at in this world right now with the world coming against Christianity in such a strong way, Christians have to make stands and saying, we're going to follow God's rules in spite of what man says. And in our early days of a country, of our country, that would have been sufficient enough for them to say, okay, follow God. In today's rules, it says go to jail or pay fines. And this is where we're at right now. We're going to be going to jail and paying fines for being disobedient and saying, we're going to obey God. And just as the disciples did, we've got to obey God. You told us not to share Jesus, but we've got to do what we're told. Uh, and that means sometimes taking a stance. It's not going to be appreciated by the world. Here, Haggai and Zechariah are telling them, uh, telling them build. You've got, that, you've got the wrong order from Darius, but build, and we'll, we'll push it. Okay? And so we're in a kind of an interesting place, and... And then said, then arose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Zoadak, and they began rebuilding the house of God. Okay, the leaders, the leaders of the people go and they start rebuilding again. And this is kind of an interesting because they're starting to rebuild in direct opposition <laughs> of the current king's orders. And this gets you into the political side of all this. Uh, and earlier I said that you've got this area was called Transjordan, and this is in Babylon. They're on the other side, uh, uh, Trans, Trans Euphrates, excuse me. I said Jordan, but it's Trans Euphrates. Babylon's on the other side of the Euphrates, and all this land is what they called the Trans Euphrates territory. And they've been sent back to uh, Jerusalem to build, and the rest of the people in that area, just like there is today. <laughs> caused troubles for the Jewish people coming back home and tried to stir up trouble for them. And they weren't ready to go to war because they had no authority to go to war, but they were not making it life easy for them. 
just as it is in Israel today. They've been put in their country and they've got all these groups coming against them saying, you don't belong here, this isn't your land, and, there's, and the Jews are saying, God gave us this land, it's our land. In 1948. In 1948, the land was given back to them, but it was their land even before, you know, from 70 AD to 1948, the land was still theirs, it just, they weren't, they had been kicked out of it, so. Uh, but, uh, but there's always been Jewish people living in that area. Even though people have moved out, there's always been Jews living there, so it's, you know, but it's always been a battlefield, always will be a battlefield until God returns and sets up his millennial kingdom and Israel is established as the center of the world, the world for a thousand years. So it's, uh, and it, up until then, it'll always be a battlefield because Satan does, Satan is trying hard to get rid of it. Because if somehow he could manage to get rid of them, then all the prophecies about Israel become unfulfilled and makes God a liar and, and Satan wins. And so, but we know that God is not a liar and he knows what's going to happen and he knows the, the, the past and the future and all of that. So we know that what he says is going to happen and that he will make sure that it doesn't get destroyed. And you think about this, it's really amazing that that little strip of land has not been totally wiped out. Uh, piece of land that from any hilltop you can see completely across the entire, the entire you know, country of Israel and they go, hasn't been destroyed. You know, just a couple of major bombs have taken, you know, destroyed it, and yet God would not, will not let that happen. And so he's protected them now. He protected them at this point. Uh, so they start building, and of course the uh, governors of the Trans-Euphrates are not too excited about this, and they come up and they're going, you know, verse 3, uh, who, who told you to rebuild? <laughs> now, we've got this letter from Darius that says, stop, why are you building? And... This is what Satan will try to do to us when we do something for God. He'll, opposition will come up always, whether it's a church doing it, an individual doing it. You know, Satan will come against them and say, who gave you authority to do whatever it is you're doing? And very important, you know, it's just like when we do the parade. We never ask for permission to hand out all the evangelistic material we do. We just do it. Right. Now, and if they tell us that we can't, then we make sure that nobody else is passing out anything. And if they are, then we go and we pass it out anyway. It is important that we do things for God. And this is where we get into a very interesting place nowadays. Uh, everything is coming down really hard. You know, there's people trying to feed the hungry, you know, in the parks and in downtown area. And then the people, the world is coming along and saying, well, do you have food permits? Do you have special permission to pass the food out to these people? They're hungry. You know, and they'll go, well, you may be trying to poison them to get rid of them. Well, no, we're trying to feed the, feed the poor like we're supposed to. And you end up in a battle between serving God and, and, and what he wants you to do and the state telling you you can't do it. And this is becoming a bigger and bigger battle. The government wants to be in control of everything and trying to stop others from doing it unless you follow every rule that they get. And we see this in the marriage issue, the feeding of the poor, the, you know, just doing a potluck can get you an interesting problems <coughs> if you advertise it. And that's why we don't advertise it. We just have our potluck for the, you know, anybody can come, but we don't advertise it anywhere because we're not going to try to get ourselves in trouble <laughs> with the government. But the government wants to control, and this is Satan's way. Try to control everything. And there's certain places where you just have to say, we're serving God. 
Yeah. If I'm told I cannot preach what God says about sin, then I'm going to preach about what God says about sin regardless. And if that means I end up in jail, I end up in jail. There's just no two ways about it because I'm going to preach what God says. I cannot <coughs> bend my message to meet what people think is important. When we're sharing the gospel, we need to share the whole gospel. Because nobody really, the, the world does not want to hear that one sin sends you to hell. And that Jesus died so that you could go to heaven. That's not what they want to hear. It's a great message. It's an easy message. You take the gift and you're saved. As long as you totally believe that, you know, each, each of those parts. But they want us to say, well, if you're a good person, you're going to be okay. No, you're going to end up in hell. And we need to make sure that we're giving that message in its complete truth. Not trying to whitewash it. Not, and this is what a lot of churches are doing. There's a lot of churches that won't talk about sin. And if you don't talk about sin, you really have nothing to be able to preach a gospel for. Because the gospel has to have the sin to be saved from. <laughs> Otherwise, Jesus died in vain. So we have to have both parts, and Satan will come along and say, well, you can't do this. Here's, here's your rules. You can't do this. And at that time, you have a choice to obey God or obey man. And here we look at this place and go, their next question in verse 4 is, what are the names of the men that make this building? Do you realize what they're trying to do here? They're trying to intimidate. We want the names. We're going to report you to the king. So give us the names of those who are doing this work. And we hear this a lot of times even in, the, in, the, in, our, in our day and age. Who is doing this work? Who's, who's speaking the truth? Give us their names so that we can make life difficult for them. That's enough sometimes to, to make people stop. Oh no, I'm not going to have my name published in, in some, some place where you're going to tell me that I'm a you know, bigoted Christian Bible believing person. No, I can't, I can't let you do that. And they'll stop preaching. They'll stop doing whatever it is. And that's the first thing Satan does. Let us have the names of those who are, who are there. Let, who, who is in your church that really likes this message? You know, who, who, who is the ones that are going out preaching this message? Tell us who they are so that we can make life miserable for them. And it's real easy in this day and age to make life miserable for somebody without even being known who did it. You just anonymously post something on the internet and, and it can go viral quick and easy. And this is Satan's attack on them. You know, uh, you guys are starting to work. You know, give us the names of these people because we're going to make sure Darius knows who to punish when, when he sends his army and sends his inspectors out here. And this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to intimidate. Verse 5, but. Uh, I've said every time I love the word but. <laughs> or therefore. <laughs> but the eye of God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius. Okay, so they were ready to, God gave them the strength to stand up and do what they were supposed to. And you can see that they're responding back to Darius. They're going, okay, Darius, you know, and when we read later on, you know, Darius, you said not to do this, but Cyrus told us to, so, you know, search your records and see if Cyrus told us, and then you tell us what you want, want to do. But until that time, <laughs> we're going to keep working. You know, it's kind of challenging to tell the king, that, you know, mind your own business, search the records, and then tell us what you think, you know, we ought to do. They were being very nice, putting it in all diplomatic language, but that's really what they told Darius. Yeah, fighting city hall, right? Yeah, you know, we, we were told to build this, so we're ignoring you until you check out the whether we were told, and then you can tell us what you want us to do after you've checked the records and, and gotten, the, gotten the record straight. Because they only got half the record in the first time. 
know, they didn't give them the, he didn't, he didn't search the records for, you know, where we told to go back. He was searching the records saying, yeah, this is a troublesome people. Here we are, they're, they're, they're continuing to build. God has given them, and they, and they send a letter to Darius. Okay, so they're sending, sending a letter to Darius, and they're sending a copy to all the trans-Euphrates ministers and governors saying, here's our answer back to Darius. But until we get an answer back, we're working. Uh, very bold, very, very strong, and this is why we as Christians have to make our decisions, and we have to make our decisions before we're in the, in the hard, hard place. It's been said many times, the time to decide what, how far you'll go into, toward a sin is before you get into the temptation. In a practical matter, when you teach teenagers, the time to decide how far you're going to go in the backseat of the car is not when you're sitting in the backseat of the car. Uh, it's before you even think about going out on the date. <laughs> that you decide exactly what's going to happen because when you're in the backseat of the car, there, anything can happen and you're going to get wrapped up in the flesh. And this is the same thing. The people had to decide, what is our limit? Where is our line? How far are we going to be pushed before we say, I'm going to follow God? The disciples said, you know, hey, you beat us, you, pun you punished us, and, and we've got to preach the gospel, so we're going to be back on the street the next day waiting for the new beating because we're not going to be silent. And this is why, this is where pastors are right now with this whole thing with homosexual marriage and all this other, all this other garbage going down. They're trying to figure out how do we respond? What do we do? You know, it's not a question for most of them. Are they going to do it? It's but how are we responding when we're asked? How are we trying to protect ourselves from, from the possibility of it happening? Some churches are getting really strict. They'll only have marriages for people that belong to the church that are members. They're, they're, they're tightening down and just saying, well, no outside marriages and we'll know who, you know, and you can't be a member without having the right standing. And so they go, they're handling it that way. Each pastor, each person has to make their decision. What is my response? How am I going to respond? You know, and for me, I've already said it. I'm not marrying anybody that's a homosexual that wants to get married to another individual of the same, same sex. That's not going to happen. And they can do what they want with it. Uh, besides the fact that they're going to have to go, anybody that I marry has to go through a six-week premarital course anyway, so it's, you know, not likely that they're going to like anything that I say to them anyway, because I've scared off three people who wanted to get married because of, I, of how serious I make them understand that marriage is. Marriage is something you do once and don't change again. If somebody's been divorced and going to get remarried, they're going to know that it's going to, this one will be a permanent one. It's not going to be a, you know, because, and I want them to make that commitment. And I will only do a, but I will only do an Arizona covenant marriage, which means that it can only be broken because of adultery. Most Christian pastors will not marry anybody now without that counseling, premarital counseling, going being involved because it teaches what is love, what is what is a husband, what is a wife, what does it mean to be married. It's a covenant, before, you know, and all this stuff that it involves on it to make people understand it is a serious, you know, activity. I want to make sure they're not unequally yoked. I want to make sure that they understand exactly what they're getting into they and what it means to be a husband. Die, the there's, there's no problem with that. Is, but again, I would, I would still do, even if it's a smaller version, because I know more about marriage, uh, I would still go through the counseling process with them. The wife dies, so the husband uh, But see, that's the importance of doing the, the understanding the biblical definition of marriage and everything, because we want, even when they say marriage, one man, one woman, there's so much more to biblical marriage than just being a man and a wife. I mean, there, there's a huge amount of this is what is going on. Responsibility. And, 
and the responsibility involved in it and, and from both both sides and right. and understanding what love is, which I've covered many times, you know, is that love is not you know, love is not an emotion or a feeling, it's a choice. And until you realize that you're not you're not gonna stay married. If you think if you think love is an emotion you won't stay married. Well, no luck involved in it at all. I, we built our relationship on biblical principles. That's good. And that's the key. You, if you try to build anything on the world's principles and the world's sand, you're gonna, it's gonna fall apart. If you, if you leave the biblical principles, then you're in, you're in a place where maybe you'll be lucky enough to marry somebody and stay together. But when you're built on God's principles and you've you're set the way God wants you to, with the right responsibilities, right, right, uh, right, right duties of, of every, and yoke together properly. Then you can do things the way it's supposed to be. But if you don't build upon God's standards, you're going to be in trouble. And that's whether it's a church, whether it's a business, whether it's a family. You build on God's principles. <laughs> and you bring success in. What usually will happen in any family that may or may not be a Christian family, but if they follow God's principles in their family or they follow God's principles in the business, they will get the rewards of obedience, whether they know it or not. And many businesses will follow God's principles and in integrity and, and honoring their customers and everything, and they will be successful. If they're trying to follow the world's idea of cheat and make as much money as you can as quickly as you can, they will usually fall you know, they may they might skyrocket for a little while, but then they end up falling down in the long run because you cannot build your build something on sand and expect it to last last through the trial trials and tribulations. And this is the problem with a lot of places, a lot of any any structure, any any structure that deals with people has to make sure it's following God's way of dealing with people. And that means to love people, to, to, to try to do, get the best out of people and reward them for that. But if you're trying to use people up, it never works. And a lot of companies will do that. A lot of companies, they treat people as if they're a commodity rather than as capital. Uh, you know, if you say, and you know the difference, when you're being abused by your bosses, you know that you're being treated as a commodity. You know, get as much as I can out of you, throw you away and, and say next. Uh, I've always treated people as if they were the most important asset of the company and that without them nothing would get done and I'll get as much or more out of the people than the ones that are trying to abuse them and I'll get to keep them a lot longer because I'm, I respect what they're doing and that's what we want to see in a church. We want to be, see people being respected and growing and being developed in what they do in, in the church. And this is why it's important that we see this going on with people. Uh, and a lot of people are afraid, you know, because the pastors are to be the servants to their church. You know, we're not, you know, you're not, as a pastor, you're not the one that's being lifted up and elevated and saying, look at me and, you know, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. No, we're the servants of the church, which means a good pastor is out there cleaning the toilets or doing the, the weeds. Now, maybe if the church gets big enough and other people say, well, Pastor, we're going to do these things, that's great. But then as you get bigger, there's more responsibilities to the people. <laughs> so, you know, and the key to this is there are pastors who come in and they think they're the greatest things in sliced bread. You're to bow down to them and elevate them and give them all respect. And they might get a little bit at first, but in the long run, it's that servant leader that actually is going to get blessed, you know, by their people. They're going, hey, we 
you know, we recognize you and, and, you know, and help you. And uh, this, is, this is why they do things like uh, Pastor Appreciation Month and everything that, are, that go out, you know, that, where the pastors are given special recognition. Uh, College Park, they always took a special offering for the pastor and gave it to him at the end of the month. You know, and you never, you know, the key to this is what are people wanting to do? And, and I love it when I see a pastor who wants to serve people because that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, let me help you. Let me get this, you know. And I've also seen pastors on the other extreme that want to be served. You know, go give me my, go give me all my drinks. Go, you know, give me this, give me that. You know, and they expect to be served. And maybe they're good. Maybe they might even deserve it. But if they actually served their people, they probably would get it a lot easier than, than the expectation. Yeah, the priest that went to the lepers and stayed with the mm -hmm. lepers and became a leper and died. But he was... Uh, oh, there's a lot of Christians that ended up doing that. They so. helped the people out because they were living in a sewer. Built their uh, quality of life up. Yeah. All right, back to our letter here. And they said in verse 7, We sent unto him therein was written, Unto Darius the king all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went to the province of Judea, to the house of the great God, which is, which is built with great stones, timber is laid in the walls, and this work goes on fast on and prospers in our hands. Okay, so they're, so they're in their hands. So they're saying, hey, they're still building. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're still building. And he goes, they asked the names, and they returned saying, I love this answer. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and build the house that was built these many years ago, which was which the great king of Israel built and set up. Okay, so so far their answer is saying in agreement to the first letter that, that was sent. You know, these are troublesome people. They want to they want to honor their old kingdom. Okay, and you see this. This is kind of an interesting statement, you know. Uh, hey, they say they're following their own God and they're building this place in honor of their great king. Which king are they referring to? The, Cyrus. No, the king that built the temple? Oh, Solomon. 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 Okay, back in their history when they were great. Solomon ran, ran Israel in its highest point. They had peace. They had tribute coming in from almost virtually the whole world. Uh, and they're saying, hey, they're, they're saying that they're special. <laughs> You know, they're not necessarily looking. And, they, and they're given this history lesson a little bit. And it says, verse 12, But after our fathers had provoked the God of heaven and unto wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. So here we go. They're getting a history lesson. And this is something that's really important for us as well. What is our history as a Christian? When we have trouble, we need to be able to look and say, God has done this. God has done this. This is when I got saved, and I know that I got saved because of all the things that he's done in my life. I know that I got changed and I became a new creation when I was 10 years old because God did a mighty work in my life and took away the majority of my temper. Okay? I changed overnight. Now, did everything I ever did wrong go, go away overnight? No. I wish it had. It would have been so much more fun. But I know that he did a big change in my life. And there's nobody that's ever going to convince me I didn't get changed because I know that I got changed. I know that I gave out the gospel and, and evangelized people. I know that God has blessed me in various areas and gifted me in certain areas, and I've watched him develop those. I've watched him 
work on changing me by putting me in hard places and then leading me out of those places and helping me through. I know, and there's all these little landmarks in my life that said, here God did something, here God did something. And my challenge for you, if you don't have landmarks in your life, is find those landmarks. Know when God has done something in your life so that when you get into the hard trials of life, you can go back and say, hear God, hear God, hear God. <laughs> because when you're in the midst of a real hard trial, it's sometimes very hard to think that God is doing anything. Because you know, we, we as humans have this big problem of, you know, what have you done for me lately mentality. <laughs> Okay, God, I know you were, you've done good things, but, you know, where are you now? And we need to be able to look back and say very clearly, here's what he did, here's what he did, here's what he did, so that we know that he's still working. That's the purpose of the scriptures in many cases, is so that we can say, God, you did this in this person's life, in this person's life, in this person's life. Now, it's very valuable to be able to see it in the Bible. The most valuable is for us to remember what he's done in our life. Because when we get into this depression of God, you're not doing anything, we can put ourselves into a real bad place for getting what God's done. And that's why in Psalms, so many times David and the other psalmist said, remember all his benefits. Remember what God has done. Remember. And that thought is all through the scripture. Remember. Go back to what God has done and remember. And the history was oftentimes going through... You go through the Old Testament and you'll see them all the time talking about, and God delivered us out of Egypt by great miracles, and God did this for us, God did this for us. You know, and it's the idea of remember. Remember what's been done. And I challenge people to read biographies of Christian missionaries and, and great leaders and see, because those will put benchmarks and remember. The more we can remember about God, the more we can do personal is, even, is the best. Okay, because he's, that shows us he's still doing things. And we've got to be able to remember he is still doing miraculous things. And I love watching just the little miracles that God does. Like going on a end-of-the-month uh, covered dish dinner and looking up there and there's not very much food. Okay, God, uh, here's, here, you know, here's a chance for a small miracle. Everybody's going to be fed and, we're still, and, and they're not going to go away hungry. And you know, we haven't run out of food in any of those times that I can remember. You know, the food may be gone by the time we're done. <laughs> but we're really not running out of food. And I don't think anybody's ever gone away from an end-of-the-month dinner hungry. Uh, and there's been times when I've wondered when I've gone up there, when there's just a couple of pots of stuff up there, and there's 30 of us standing in front of all of that. And, and God, and I think it's a real... It's a miracle in my, in my estimation. He stretched the food or dropped people's appetites or whatever it took. Yeah. But everybody had food to eat and went, and went home happy. full. Yeah, happy, full, you know. And it's not that we said, oh, you, can only, you, can't, you can't eat very much. You know, it's <laughs> go eat. <laughs> right. You know, and God provides even a little. And you go, well, what's so big a deal about that? Well, to me, that's a pretty big deal. You know, Jesus said 5,000 with, you know, five... You know, five loaves and three fish, you know, we're not trying to do that for him, but, you know, but this little miracle is one that I've seen over and over in my lifetime, where you have a very small amount of food and a lot of people and everybody gets, gets stuffed and there's still that little bit at the bottom or, you know, the last person gets to scrape the last bit out, but they're, they're not hungry when they're gone. And, you know, and you say, well, big deal. What kind of, you know, well, it's, feeding is a big deal. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you for uh, the card. 
first. Oh, okay. And I saw Matt today too, speaking of hungry. Matt's happy and Sky's happy. So we, we, we look at this and say, what does God do for us? And we need to be able to see. And that's why one of my favorite hymns is Count Your Blessings. And I love oh, that. But, you know, Count Your Blessings, name them one by I one, love. and it will surprise you what the God has done. You know, we can, we can concentrate on all the bad that's happening to us and put ourselves in a depressed, terrible state. Or we can look and say, what is God doing in my life? What is he doing around us and join him? And that's, you know, that was what Blackaby in, in experiencing God said. Look around at what God is doing and join him in what he's doing. And too often we want to say, God, I'm miserable over here. Come and, come and help me out. And God's saying, I'm doing lots, we're doing lots of things over here. Why don't you just come over here and join us? And we, if we join him and we count our blessings, then we, we, we stop focusing on all the bad. The other way of saying it is if you're really having a hard time, help somebody else. You know, and you start forgetting about your problems because, you know, you sit down and you, you know, you're helping somebody else. You realize that your problems aren't that bad. And that's usually what ends up happening. Wow, I was really worried, but my problem's nothing compared to this poor person. You know, and that comment was made at the last pastor's meeting I went to because this church was having a really hard time. And one of the guys goes, I thought we were having a hard time in church, but you guys are really having a hard time. We're, I feel sorry for you. We'll pray for you. And you it makes you feel better. And you do. You, you go, wow, you know. And, you know, because I can concentrate on all the stuff that's not going on right around here. I can concentrate on the great things that God is doing here. Yeah, we don't live that there where that yeah. disaster happens. And God is doing so many good things here in, in chloride that, you know, I'm going to concentrate on what he's doing and doing the good. And saying, God, you're, you're blessing. You're doing this. We're, we're, we're seeing people grow. You know, am I disappointed that only 25 people come out on Sundays? Yes, but God has people here that he wants here. And eventually, when God figures that it's time, we'll start growing and get more people in here. But until then, he's given, he's given us hundreds of people online listening to us. He's given people that are growing here, being ministered to here. And I will never have any problems with being able to minister to whoever is available because that's what God's given. And so we look at this and they say they're going to continue and... and uh, that says, here's their history. You know, they've been troublesome people, but here's their history. They were disobedient to their God, and their God's put them into captivity. This is kind of an interesting statement to tell Darius. Because Darius is coming out of the Babylonian Empire, and he's actually the Medo-Persian Empire now. But it's like, as far as he's concerned, Nebuchadnezzar was a great military leader and would have taken these people whether their God stopped them or not. And here they are saying, the only reason Nebuchadnezzar took us is because we disobeyed our God. Yeah, uh, this is going to make him pause. You know, when he reads this, this is going to make him pause and go, "What's wrong with these people? They're a little crazy." Okay, and for us as Christians, how many times do we say something and people look at us and say, "These Christians are crazy"? You know, they attribute everything to God. You know, we attribute everything to chance or luck or or, or strength and power, and they're attributing everything to God. Uh, you know what? I'm I'd be more than happy to put myself in God's hands and not not anything else. And, and I've shared it over and over. It's the fun thing to do with lost people is to talk about what God is doing in your life and just look at their total look of disbelief in, your, in their eyes because they don't understand it. And it's wonderful, and this is what they're telling them. You know, hey, we're, we're, we are only captured because we disobeyed our God. And I can just picture Darius reading this letter. <laughs> and they go, boy, these guys are really strange. <laughs> 
You know, Nebuchadnezzar was pretty mighty, and he conquered that whole area, and they think it's only because they disobeyed their god that Nebuchadnezzar, you know, you know did, conquered them, and he's going to be thinking. So they're saying that if they hadn't disobeyed God, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have taken them. And uh, he knows his history. He knows, he knows who Nebuchadnezzar is. He knows how powerful Nebuchadnezzar was. And uh, so it's going to be quite an interesting uh, point. Then they go on, in, but in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus that made a decree to build this house. Okay, so they're going back and they're saying, hey, before you, Darius, King Cyrus was around. <laughs> and he gave us orders to do this building. He gave us this order. We're working on his authority right now. And it says, And the vessels of gold and silver in the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem, brought them into the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered unto one whose name was Sespazar, whom he had made governor. Okay, and we, we know that the, the items out of the temple were taken. They were put into the temple of Dagon in Babylon. And then remember, why did Babylon fall? Does anybody remember why Babylon fell? Belshazzar took the golden cups and everything out of, the temp out of their temple, and he drank wine and celebrated their gods with God of Israel's utensils. And then remember that there was the handwriting on the wall. Many, many tekel eupharsis. And Daniel came in and said, you've been measured and found wanting, and that night Babylon fell. Okay, the very in the seventh chapter of, uh, sixth or seventh chapter of Daniel. Okay, he celebrated his gods with God's items. And the, the, the Babylon fell to the Medes and Persians that night. And if you remember the story, Babylon had such a big gate, big city walls, uh, chariots four to six abroad could ride around the, around the city on its walls. And we're talking about pretty good-sized walls. We're talking highway-wide walls. And they felt like nobody's ever going to conquer us. And the Medes and Persians blocked the Euphrates, came in under the river entrance, and took the city in one night. So that gives you your history lesson from, the, from Daniel. I know, I've read it. <laughs> I remember the handwriting on the wall. I just didn't know yeah. what it was. The handwriting on the wall, that was when Babylon fell. And Daniel gave that testimony to Belshazzar and then went on to be a ruler in the Medo Persian Empire. So, but he says, you know, that Cyrus gave back those utensils. And so they're, they're making the history. They're going, here's our history. This is, yeah, we were, we were troublesome people. Yes, and you know we, we, we disobeyed our God. He put us into to, into uh, captivity, but Cyrus sent us back, okay, and gave us the stuff. So verse fifteen, and they said unto him, Take these vessels, go carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be built in this place. Okay, so and remember, this is the command that they were given. They weren't commanded to build a wall. <laughs> they were commanded to rebuild the temple. Now, the rebuilding a wall is part of building a city because you don't build a city that, without walls in that day. Uh, so they're, they're basically, they're, they're expanding upon what they were told to do, but you couldn't protect the temple without the wall around the city. 
if you built a temple with all this gold and silver and you didn't build a wall, then you'd have marauders riding into your temple and taking away all your sure. gold and silver, so you have to build a wall. And that's how they're thinking, okay? Uh, now, they weren't commanded to build a wall, but they also weren't given an army to protect the, the temple, so they need a wall. And a city, in those days, a city without a wall was really not a city. It was, you know, it was just a stopping off place for all the thieves and robbers and, and armies to come in and take everything away from you. Uh, so they're going, you know, you, we, you were told to build this, this, this uh, temple and they didn't get into the whole idea of this, the wall. The architectures knew that that's what they had to do. Pretty much it was a standard procedure. If you were going to build a city, you built a wall. Architects, I mean. Yeah. If you were going to build a city, you built a wall. It was just a standard procedure. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise, you just had a little hamlet that would be invaded every time oh, you turned around. There? Oh yeah, the, the Wailing Wall is still there. Oh, the Wailing Wall. The, that's part of the walls of, Jer of Jerusalem, the, the original wall. Jerusalem. So they had the. Uh, yeah, some of the wall is still there. Not much of it, but some of it. But all all across the the Middle East, uh, and and Arabia and all the and all the Arabian Peninsula. All those cities in the old parts still have the walls standing. Well, they were very experienced from building the pyramids yeah. and everything else. And lots of European cities still have the walls that defended their cities around the castle. You, you'd have your castle, a city, a wall around the castle, and with, with some shops and stuff inside the wall, and that when you got attacked, all the people from out all the, the buildings outside ran into the, into the walled part of the of that and they protected themselves and the castle would also have a separate wall you know uh, but this was standard procedure you you didn't have a city without a wall you had to be able to defend your people and the wall was essential for de defending your people and so they're just building a wall as part of re rebuilding the temple verse 9, uh, 16 then came the same Sesbazar and laid the foundation of the house of God which is in Jerusalem and since that time, even until now, it has been in building and is not yet finished. So they're going, we're, we're, keeping, we're, we're still building. We're going to keep building. Uh, it's not finished yet. And uh, then on verse 17, Now therefore, if it seem good to the king, let a search be made of the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, in which it be so that the decree made by Cyrus the king to build this house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this manner. So they're going back. Remember we ended verse chapter 4 with you know, search out the records and see that these people are troublemakers. These guys are saying let's give you a different query. Search out the records and see that we were told to come back. <laughs> okay. And if you think about computers, you know, if you, you, know, you get back the information for what you searched for. Uh, you know, and this is why some people are really good at doing things like Google, you know, because they know exactly how to write phrase. in the search, you know, phrase the search to get what they want. You know, and if you search for the wrong material, you get the you don't get the answers you're looking for. She likes Google, yeah. uh, and I like Google. I can usually find what I want pretty easily by by Googling, and but this is kind of you know this is long before computers, of course, but this is basically what they're saying: change change the criteria that you're searching for. You know, for, they told you to search and see that we're troublemakers, and you found out, yes, we're troublemakers. They even admitted it in their letter. We have been troublemakers in the past. But search the records and see, not only that, but Cyrus told us to come back. And we're just doing what we were told to do. And so they're saying, go back. 
Go back and re research your records looking for different answers. Because the scribes were just as good as the, the search engines. They were, they were told to go look and say, was Israel troublemakers? That's what they were looking for. They weren't looking for every other reference to Israel. They were just saying, go back and see, is it true that they were troublemakers? And they're going to go back and they're going, to go, yeah, these last three kings of Israel, they were troublemakers. Uh, one just totally rebelled against us and wanted to go to war. One, one hired Egypt to come against us. Uh, you know, and they're finding out all this information saying, yeah, they're troublemakers. You know, they, they spoke true. And so this letter saying, hey, hey, go back and research. Search again, but use this criteria. Look for Cyrus telling us to go back and that fact that he gave us everything we needed for the temple. And sometimes we need to help people understand and, and redesign their beliefs. And I've said this before. How many times have you ever heard somebody believe, well, how can you believe that old, out-of-date book? Now, it's, it's archaic. Well, the very first thing I know when somebody says that, they have never read the Bible. If they say the Bible is archaic, they have never read the book. Because you read the book and it speaks just as if it was, papers were being written today and you see the same things. You see the same sins. You see the same direction we're going. Because man does not change. Satan does not change. So we want to sometimes have to redirect people and saying, are you sure that you believe that? You know, have you read the Bible? Let me show you a couple, couple of phrases in here. Let me show you some of the laws that they were told and, and compare that to the, to, to the things going on today. Let me show you what God says about this. Let me show you that God said this and, that, and what psychology today has come out with on the, on the latest, re, latest report and see that God said it 4,000 years ago and they've and they're now done a study to prove what God said 4,000 years ago. Uh, you know, let me show you that this book is true. When they, with archaeologists digging where God says things happen and they, sure enough, they find it. You know, the key to this is sometimes we have to redirect people's thoughts you know, as we see people in the world trying to redefine marriage, trying to redefine family, you know, and this is kind of interesting, you know, the redefinition of family in general, not just marriage, but family. You know, you're hearing a lot of people say, well, it doesn't take bloodlines to have family. A family can be any group of people you like and put together. Well, you might say that that's a family, but it's not what God says a family is. Family and God. it's not really a family. You know, you have to have something that joins you together that is by bloodline. I always hear that statement, blood's thicker than water, and I've seen it proved many times, blood's thicker than water. You know, the friendship could be there, but brothership or sistership. Well, well it's an imagine, amazing thing how you, you might be able to pick and tease a brother or a sister with no problem and, you know, but let somebody else say something bad about your brother or sister, even if it's true and you're going to be ready to to defend in most cases. That's what I tell yeah. this guy, we fight like cats and dogs, but let anybody get between us, you're gonna not, you know, or say anything bad about her or about yeah. me, she stands up for me. Yeah, and, and it's important for that. For it's important other. for that, that a family is somebody who has a tie stronger than just, I like you. That's the only family you know, uh, have. You, know, so you can't get a house full of roommates and say, this is our family. Or if somebody says something about you or you or yeah. me, we back. Like she said, watch each other's back. You know? Yeah, so the whole key on this is, you know, sometimes we just have to redefine to people what it really means and bring them back to the biblical definition of things, and this is what God says about it. And, you know, sometimes people are amazed about what God says about it. When, when God talks about being a husband, 
Most husbands don't want to do what God says it means to be a husband. Now, they love the part where, the, where God tells the wife, submit. You know, they think that's great. But it also says that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church and laid down his life for her. You know, and most husbands don't want to go that far. Yeah, you know, they want them to be obedient, but they don't want to give them a reason to be obedient. The contentious woman, stay away from her. <laughs> so, if she's being contentious. Or but you know, God is saying, this is something that's important. And if we do things God's way, life is much easier. The more we do things God's way, the better off we're going to be, the easier life will be as we look around and we see him blessing and, and honoring and, and correcting. You know, we've talked about tithing, you know, and, you, and God says, give the tithe and give it first. And people say, well, there's no way I can tithe and survive. Well, I'm going to contend that you can't afford not to tithe and survive. And it's very important to, that we honor God. God says that we're to build up one another or to edify one another and i've heard people go well you can't make that person feel good they'll cheat you i'm sorry god says build them up and edify them and you know what most people want to live up to that edification you know most people don't get puffed up and built you know most people when they're said you know something good about them is said they will want to live up to that belief not not take advantage of it are there a handful of people that will take advantage of? Of course, there's always, the, there's always the exception. But the majority of people, you know, you tell them that God loves them and he wants them to be, you know, continue in the good things they're doing, they want to live up to that. You know, if you tell a drunk, well, we're just waiting for you to fall back down again, they're going to fall back down again. But if you say, I am so proud that you've given up and, the, you know, given up your drinking and you're coming to church, and, and for the most part, they're going to want to live up to that praise you know you tell somebody who's coming off drugs i'm just i'm happy you're coming off that and, you know keep keep working on it and, you know god loves you he'll give you the strength to get by they want to live up to that it's all feel better it's it's there's that feel better part but there's also that the innate desire to live up to the high expectations of people and we see it also in the business world when i would hire somebody and i would think wow i just hired a really good person this person is going to be really good about 90% of the time, if I had that opinion of somebody, they lived up to it. Now, I don't know if I subconsciously put more effort into them living up or if I, you know, gave them more chances because I expected them to be able to be better or what it was, but they almost always lived up to my high expectation. If I hired somebody, oh, this is just a fill-in person, they're going to be gone in six months, you know, but I just need a body, body in here. Most of the time... They lived up to that expectation or down to that expectation, whichever way you want to look at it. They didn't work out, you know, and, and they were there just for a short time. Uh, and there's been studies on that, you know, where teachers have been told this student's been tested. They're a really high, high, high potential student, you know, and all of this and those. And you subconsciously put time and effort into those people without even meaning to a lot of times and, and they succeed with what you expect. And so my expectation is as much as possible biblical good high expectation of people now does that mean everybody's going to meet it all the time all the time never but do they keep making progress to getting there from what i've experienced in my years of, of working with people yes they will usually strive to you think i'm you think i've got capabilities you think i can be loving you think i can read my bible you think i can teach you think i can serve god in a greater way or i can do this and people generally will live up to it 
Will there be ups and downs and fall, failures and, and, and all of that? Absolutely. But you just keep encouraging them. And this is why it's important. Do we have a biblical view of people? Yes, I know people are sinners and they're going to fail. But I also know that God changes lives and that they are a new creation in Christ and that he's going to crucify them. So while I know they're going to fail, I expect to see them making progress in a crucified life and growing. And that's why when people want to tell me all about the bad history of somebody, I don't want to know about the bad history of somebody. Because I'm going to see them, not after the flesh, but who God says they are. And that is, if they're in Christ, they are in Christ. They have the potential to be good and perfect because they're in Christ and being crucified. Will they ever get to being good and perfect? No. But I watch people and see that movement to that area. And, you know, and, I, and I've shared with people, you know, you know, would I leave my wallet laying around the church for anybody to get into? No. I don't trust sinners that much. You know, I, I know that the church would be a safer place to do that than most places, but I'm still not going to tempt people to, to uh, go out and, and be tempted to steal. Would I recommend that a woman leave her purse just sitting out in the sanctuary not being watched? Absolutely not. Yes, it's a church. Yes, it should be somewhat safe, but why tempt people <laughs> to fall back in their sin? Am I going to leave the doors of the church open 24-7? Come on in and pray whenever you want and just take whatever you want out of the church. Absolutely not. Now, if I'm here, yes, come on in, play the, you know, play Some the, you know. Too, and there are churches used to. used to. There are very few churches that do that anymore. That uh, because too many people are stealing even from the church. I went in one middle of the night one night and started playing the organ when I was a kid. I was going to school there, so I snuck in. Anyway, I got caught, but it was still I did it, and I... But, I didn't do any damage. I didn't yeah. do anything but play the organ. But most places, I mean, there was a time when nobody would dare steal from a church. But because people don't have the fear of God anymore, they have no fear of stealing in a church. And because there was a time when you knew that God was going to come after you if you did something in the church. And he's still going to come after you. You just don't recognize it anymore. That's sad, huh? But he is the one that will discipline people if they want to come in and steal from the church. And, but I'm not going to open the doors and make it easy for them to do uh, because I have enough sense to know that people are sinners and they're going to sin. That's why you're never disappointed. I'm never going to be disappointed when somebody is, it misbehaves. I know the Bible. You know, my hope is that, that they won't. My hope is that they've grown and been crucified enough to not. But I also know that they're sinners. And I also know that I'm going to sin and I'm going to disappoint people. So that's why I really want them to understand Look, we're all sinners. We all are going to disappoint each other at some point. I am going to say something caustic to somebody that's going to upset them at some point because I am a sinner. You know, will I be meaning to do that? Not necessarily. I might at that moment, but I'm not looking to hurt people. Or, but I know that it happens. When, I, when I've had a pastor in the past get kind of caustic or sarcastic with me, I don't take it personal because I know they're a sinner. And we're just going to have to work on forgiveness at that point. But we've got to be able to love one another. Jesus said, You'll, they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. And when you come across somebody who claims to be a Christian but has no love for people, then I come back to this and saying, Jesus says we'll know each other by our love. Now, do I expect perfect love from everybody? No, because I know we're not going to have perfect love. But 
there should be that love for one another, and that's why I, look, I enjoy watching how this church has changed over time. <coughs> People around here now stand around talking to one another. You know, two and a half years ago, two and three quarters years ago, I mean, it was get out of the church as fast as you can. Uh, and there really wasn't a lot of love in this church for one another. It was like, we all know each other after the flesh. We know we're a bunch of terrible sinners, and we don't like each other. And, you know, and I've watched that generation of Christ being moved in here and seeing the change and seeing the love and knowing that people are growing in Christ and that this church is growing in Christ. And, you know, we have a long ways to go, but we we'll always have a long ways to go. No matter how far we go, we'll still have a long ways to go. And each person that's growing in this church has come a long ways and there's still a long ways to go. I've, had, I've been following for 44 years. I've come a long ways and I've got a long ways to go, more than most people realize. <laughs> and I've got a long ways to go to grow. And yet we all will see each other and we want to take pleasure in that growth. We want to edify one another, build one another up, and see God bless. Because I am so pleased watching people you know, grow in Christ. Uh, and, and know people are going to fail and going and to crash and everything, but knowing that God's going to lift them right back up, we're going to keep loving them, we're going to keep forgiving, we're going to keep doing what it takes and watching people grow, and hopefully everybody will keep doing the same thing with me, forgive me and edify and build up and say, know that when I make a mistake, it's not on purpose, I'm just a sinner. And we just look at that. And, but as you say, it makes it so much easier because when somebody does something wrong, I'm not going to get all bent out of shape because... I just know that they're being who they are. Not who they should be, but who they are. <laughs> you know, who they should be is in Christ and, and, and living in a perfect, you know, perfect realm, but I know that we're sinners and we're going to make, make, have problems. And it's just, it's an opportunity to show love and forgiveness. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you today. We thank you for each person that's here. We thank you for those who are going to listen on the internet. We, we thank you, Lord, that you can give us the strength to push on even against the assaults of the enemy and, the, and Satan, Lord, that you will honor and protect. And we just thank you and ask you to go with us in Jesus' name. Amen.